The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay, we are live. I'm Bill Amadeo from Gravel and Associates and McManus and Amadeo. Gee, I flipped that one today, huh? And we're going to talk about a few topics. Doing some more content for the jail visit. Um, considering some national exposure, which we're not sure what's going to happen there yet. But as Josh Strickland always says, I need more content, content, content. So today, we're going to talk about elections. In particular, we're going to discuss the 14A District Court election. We're going to discuss our Circuit Court election in Washington. And we'll talk about the Board of Commissioners election in Chi-Town. And I'm going to discuss CSC3, the statutory rate component of that. Right now in Michigan, if you have sex with somebody who's under the age of 16, that is a 15-year felony. We'll break that down. And then we're going to discuss the Rage the uh, Raise the Age platform, which could expand play and actually has on some level. And then we'll discuss the Ice Bucket Challenge. Good job. Brings back some weird memories. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. When you talk about district court elections, it's always weird with district court elections. Um, I've been in street fights that were more civil than some of these judicial elections. During these elections, people get crazy. People lose sight of things. I'm going to break this down again for why we're behind Torchio Feaster. We have a meeting today about some things, and the district court is really the community judge. Let's remember this. It's handling misdemeanors. It's handling landlord-tenant issues. Um, it's handling felonies when felonies start. But the district court jurist is so close to that community. I think every candidate has reached out to me in one way or another. You know, some want financing, some want support, some want a combination thereof, which is understandable. You know, I spoke at Torchio's um, event the other night, and the reality is this. The best candidates do not always win these elections. We see it on local levels. We see it on national levels. That's concerning. My concern with this judicial election and by the way, let me be clear. No matter who wins this election, it's not going to affect me or my business. Our firms will be fine either way. But it will certainly affect our community. So this is not about vote for Torchio Feaster because Bill Amadeo likes him. It's about look at the platform and pick Torchio because he's best for the Washington County community. Well, let's think about a few things. We're going to have young people in these courts, first-time offenders, many with non-assaultive crimes. When there's a non-assaultive crime with a young person on a first-time offense, I mean, we really, we almost want to put a fear in them as opposed to incarcerate them. We're not talking about murders, we're not talking about rapes, we're talking about the kid with a concealed weapon who gave in to peer pressure. And technically, it's a five-year felony. What are we going to do with this child? 
can the judge connect with that child? Can the judge be a role model for that child as opposed to locking them up in jail or prison? And there's such a big difference between jail and prison. You know, I mean, jail's up to 12 months. And I've always said, despite my issues with Jerry Clayton, and I know Kathy Wyatt's not a big fan of mine, but I will tell you, they run a great jail. Kurt Chippenies, they do a great job at the Washtenaw County Jail. You don't want to be in that jail, but there is a world of difference between the Washtenaw County Jail and the Michigan Department of Corrections. There's also a big difference between the Michigan Department of Corrections and federal prison. Federal prison is a much easier lifestyle than the Michigan Department of Corrections. The MDOC is a brutal place to be. And with the legislation we have in place, a lot of young people could face going into the MDOC for first-time offenses. What are we going to do to, number one, make sure these kids stay out of the system, and two, protect their futures? Not talking about the person who hurt somebody. We're talking about the kid with a drug possession charge. We're talking about the kid with a concealed weapon. What do we do with that young person? And quite often it's a young person of color. How many times have young black defendants walked into a court with a misdemeanor and it rolls into a felony? Or a felony and it rolls into a jail sentence? Or a jail sentence potential that rolls into a prison sentence? We have a lot to think about here. And I don't care what anybody says. There is racism in the judicial system. I could tell you the efforts I have to put in on young black defendants versus young white defendants. And there is a much easier route to protect a young white person than the young person of color. It's reality. Kids that are black, kids that are Hispanic, they have a much more difficult time The stacked against them, you know? And we need somebody on the bench who's going to understand that we got to have an even playing field for every defendant that walks into this court. It's not just what's in the police report. There are things that jump out of that police report. And a lot of times on the defense lawyers, if we're doing a plea, are we going to do a sentencing memo? Are we going to go the extra step? The judge has a stack of cases. We need a jurist who's going to listen to the attorneys, who's going to break through that there's something beyond that police report, and who's going to protect that community. And sometimes protect that community means giving a young person a chance to right the wrong. Elections get messages that are twisted. You know, and usually in elections, the people with the most money win. One of the reasons I'm giving as much money as I am to Torchio Feaster and Arian Slay is because I realize every dollar I put into the campaign, in my opinion, is a dollar I'm putting into our community. That's where I'm at with it. I see things on both ends, guys. I understand something. When I was six years old, we were living in the ghetto of Atlantic City. We were on welfare. We were poor. And the only reason we got off welfare is because mom got a job in the casinos. And the casinos in Atlantic City and South Jersey are what the factories are to the Midwest. It was so easy for me to become a part of the environment. 
but why I didn't become a product of the environment is because I had Aunt Mare at home. I had Mom at home. I had my grandfather until I was 15. He passed away. We were poor, but we had these stable forces. And there's so many young people that are not fortunate to have those stable forces. I was watching Tyrone Bridges' um, pod a little bit today when I was at the gym. And he said something really powerful. What is the elected official going to do for the poorest constituent in those communities? I'm lucky enough to be living in Stonebridge. I'm lucky enough to be in a two-income house where both members, my wife and I, are successful attorneys. I mean, it's kind of like the American dream, right? We got a big house and the golden retriever that runs in the back and we're living on a golf course. And, you know, I'm really proud of all that, but what it took to get there was jurists like Torchio Feaster that saw if I was in the system, this kid has a chance for an education. Are we going to get that from the other candidates? I have nothing personal against these other candidates. But nobody gets it like Torchio Feaster. Nobody's going to understand that. And I will tell you, I can speak on that because I've been poor and then I've got money. I've been on both ends. I'm not somebody that just grew up with a silver spoon. And if you say that about me, that's bull. You don't know my story. Okay, not everybody knows my story. But one of the reasons I take so many cases in Ipsy under market value because I do not want to see these kids become statistics. When I see a prosecutor's office that overcharges minorities. And by the way, we're not going to get into it right now. Because I know you're gonna, we're gonna talk all this bullshit about restorative justice and this and that. There's a reason why, 12% of Washtenaw County, 12% is black, and yet 81% of criminal defendants are black. Those numbers are disproportionate, and those numbers have not changed. Let's be clear about that. I don't care what prosecutors are watching this. I don't care it's gonna threaten me. I'm gonna tell you right now, the stats are startling. We need to treat Ypsilanti the same way we treat Dexter, the same way we treat Celine. And I'm fearful if we don't put the right person in office, we're not going to be able to do that. That sentiment becomes even more magnified with our circuit court. The reason why Arian Slay is so crucial to being on that bench is because not only is she an experienced prosecutor, she's a fair prosecutor. She has to lull by anybody else. And she's going to call the lull down the middle. She's going to apply her power of punishment when it's needed. And she's going to give leniency when it's required. The thing about Slay, which was so difficult during the prosecutorial election, it was difficult to even watch, is because she's this brilliant legal mind. But she's not a politician. Let me tell you something. There were things Slay could have done to fight fire with fire during that election. She took the high road. And that's somebody we want on that bench. When dirty tricks were being played and games were being played, Slay was trying to do the right thing. And if you don't respect that, you just don't respect the system. Arian Slay is not just the person who should be on that bench in our circuit court. It's the person we need on that bench in the circuit court. She's not always going to give you what you want as a defense lawyer. 
but more importantly, what she's going to do is not always give you what you want as a prosecutor. She's going to call the law in an objective manner. What we want from a jurist is somebody who's not going to be swayed by politics, who's not going to be litigating to the camera. We need someone who's going to be a true leader. People say you look up to Judge Matthew Stewart. I do, because he doesn't play in the politics. Shiawassee is such a different world than Washington. Get it. But the social media component of Shiawassee, in my opinion, is more active than the social media component to Washington County. And in Chi-Town, when you brief Crockett, it's on a Facebook chat somewhere, okay? The thing about somebody like Judge Stewart, why he's such a role model, is because he doesn't care what people are saying on social media. He's going to apply the law the way he feels he needs to apply the law. So that's why I admire him so much, and I'll be clear on that. When it comes to Shiawassee and we see these Board of Commissioner elections, I know Mayor Ken is running hard in District 4. Look what Mayor Ken did in Durand. How do we not want him on that board? Let me be clear about the board. Because I have to speak about that. And I'll probably do another Facebook Live strictly about Shiawassee politics. But for today. When we see Brian Boggs and other people supporting a candidate against Ken. I need you guys to think about something. What got us into this mess in Shiawassee? The whole Jeremy Root sexual harassment fiasco. The COVID money. Cindy Garber's drama. You know, and I remember Cindy Garber once said the people have spoken. No, the people voted Republican across the board, and Cindy Garber was on a Republican platform. That board, with the influence they have in Shiawassee, it's terrifying if the wrong people are on that board. And again, this is not going to affect me. Look at my cases in Shiawassee. Look at my case in Washington. It's pretty clear if a board member doesn't care for me or a prosecuting officer does not care for me, it's not going to affect my bottom line. But what we're looking at, we're looking at people's future here. Look what Mayor Ken did in Durand. And then look at what he could do for the county as a whole. And then you gotta look at Brian Boggs, and you gotta say to yourself, what has Brian Boggs done during his time in office, if you would? You know, and, and Mike Boggs supposed to be the level head of the board. Yeah, that's, he's not capable of doing that. Boggs is about Boggs. He's always got an agenda going. He doesn't really care about Shiawassee the way he professes to care about it. He thinks he's more important than he is. And the fact that he's going against Mayor Ken with his candidate tells you one more reason why you should vote for Mayor Ken. Do we want more Brian Boggs bullshit? Is that what you guys want out there? Because if Mayor Ken doesn't get in, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get more drama. You're going to get more COVID scandals. You're going to get more sexual harassment scandals. And for Brodeur to sit on... Facebook Live, and Greg, if you're watching, pay attention. 
You sat there and explained how the financial situation in Shiawassee is so bleak when you're in charge of this board and then you don't see the need to make changes. You're endorsing somebody who's handpicked by Boggs who played a role in this financial disaster. What's sad, guys, when we see elections all the time, it should be mandatory for people to vote. It really should. Because voter turnouts, low voter turnouts, put the wrong people in power. That's all I could say on that issue. If Torchia Feaster does not get elected to 14A District Court, Washtenaw County will suffer. If Arian Slay does not get on the Washtenaw Circuit Court bench, it's going to be a setback for our county. And if Ken McDonald does not win his election for the Board of Commissioners, Shiawassee is going to remain in a cycle with that current board. I've always said if the board paid attention to how the circuit court runs business, they'd be in much better shape. They're not doing that, guys. They're doing constant drama. They're doing things that are self-serving. They're spending money where it doesn't need to be spent. You need a change. Mayor Ken could be that change, and I hope you guys support him. We'll transition. I want to talk about statutory rape in Michigan. Because I am so bothered by this statute. There's a component of CSC3 in Michigan right now where if you have sex with a minor under the age of 16 you face a 15-year felony and sexual registration. Now, I know I have enemies out there. They're going to twist this and try to make it like Bill Amadeus, proponent of CSC. I'm going to pay real careful attention to what I'm going to say. I know some of my enemies have a problem with comprehension, so pay careful attention to what's coming next. We have to stop prosecuting high school kids that are having consensual sex. We have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old that have sex on a date. And that 17-year-old, by the black letter of the law, is guilty of CSC3. Because she was under the age of 16, she cannot consent. Now follow me here. When there's under a four-year gap, and this is where the Romeo and Juliet laws come into play, and it's consensual sex. And when I say consensual sex... If anybody rapes somebody against their will, they deserve to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Now, when I say anybody raping themselves against, against their will, I'm talking force of coercion, we're not talking about um, a frat party where somebody's getting millions of dollars for making up a lie years after the fact. We're talking about somebody compromising a young woman. That's bullshit. But when two kids have consensual sex, and one's a senior, one's a sophomore in high school. What the hell are we doing here? We can't hit these kids with a 15-year felony. Okay, that's just wrong. But now follow my transition here. In Michigan, the age of consent is 16. And this really bothers me. And I'm going to sound very prosecutorial right now. The age of consent in Michigan should be raised from 16 to 18. I don't think it's fair 
that at 16 years old, the legislator thinks they could just make their own decisions like that. We got a problem with that. And I saw this so much in my time playing softball in Lansing. It was so frustrating. I would see 16-year-old high school sophomores come to the softball field to hang out with their 35-year-old boyfriends. And that was completely legal in our state. I'll tell you this. If I had a daughter who was 16, who was having sex with a 35-year-old, I'm sure I would get prosecuted. I would just break the guy's legs. There's no way a 16-year-old can make those decisions. We need to raise the age of consent to 18. I just think 16 is too young. Now, here's where I have problems. And somebody explain this to me. Why are we going to prosecute a 17-year-old kid for having sex with a 15-year-old kid consensually, but we cannot prosecute a 40-year-old man who has consensual sex with a 16-year-old girl? There's a problem here. We're saying 16's the line in the sand. Okay, stop. No 40-year-old man should be having sex with a 16-year-old girl. I'll go f*** what the legislation says. And no prosecutor should be prosecuting a 17-year-old kid for having consensual sex with a 15-year-old. There's a problem. It's a major problem. And with the expanse and the raids, the age program is trying to say that Haida should be expanded. Because the mind is still maturing up until the age of 30, really. We're pushing Haida from 23 to 25. It gets a lot more specific than that, but Haida is the Home Youthful Training Act. What we're learning with Haida, though, is when we get past that age of 20, things become much more difficult. There's a component that says we need prosecutorial consent. And I'm not seeing Haida being applied enough in Washtenaw County. I see it applied more in Wayne County. Shiawassee certainly depends on the allegations. But the whole point of Haida is that we're going to treat young people differently than adults. I don't think it's right and it should be illegal for a grown man to have sex with a female under the age of 18. We need to change the legislation. As a defense lawyer, that sounds weird. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't think 16-year-old kids should be having sex with 40-year-old men. The 40-year-old guys I saw all the time in my softball career in Lansing. I played a lot of softball. It was a normal thing for those high school kids to be dating full-grown adults. I think it does a lot of damage to the young woman. We can't prosecute that. But we will prosecute the 17-year-old having sex with a 15-year-old at the high school prom. How the hell did we get to this point? We have to take every case independently. Look at those components here. It just blows me away. High school kids having consensual sex are facing incarceration at the Michigan Department of Corrections. And when certain probation officers, and you know who I'm talking about, want to lower the boom on these kids and send them to prison for consensual sex, when they got their own shit they're trying to cover up, that's just sad. Probation departments have a tough job. I respect probation officers. I really do. 
And the reason why the statute changed that defense lawyers could be at felony pre-sentence investigation reports is because of certain scumbag probation officers. A good probation officer can change the life of a young person in a positive light. A bad one can destroy that young kid. And I saw so many times in my career, I get the 15-year-old, 17-year-old, or the 18-year-old dynamic. High school kids having consensual sex, facing many years at the Michigan Department of Corrections. And you just scratch your head. It's okay for a 16-year-old to hook up with a 40-year-old, but it's not okay for a 17-year-old to hook up with a 15-year-old. What are we doing here, legislators? I don't understand it. I just don't. And I guess I've been doing some prosecutorial work. Well, believe it or not, a little bit in Lenaway on um, parental termination cases. And I just see these kids in the system. I see parents that are just not parenting properly. Why are we allowing, as a whole, a minor to be with a full-grown adult and not seeing an issue there, but yet Romeo and Juliet's not getting applied properly. Major problem. It's really frustrating the hell out of me when I see stuff like that. And I'll tell you, we're not going to get to the ice bucket challenge today because I'm just too into my criminal aspects right now. I will tell you, I'm concerned for the future of Michigan. <laughs> If we don't get the right people in power, if we don't apply these laws properly, if we don't apply common sense to these statutes, we got a problem on our hands. It's a strict liability offense, the CSC statutory rape component, which means, I'm going to play it one more time. A 17-year-old and a 15-year-old have consensual sex in the state of Michigan. And he believed that she was of legal age. He is guilty of a 15-year felony. He will likely do prison time on that 15-year felony based upon the scoring guidelines. He will likely go in a sex registry for life. He will likely lose his freedom over consensual sex. But if a 16-year-old and a 40-year-old have consensual sex, that is perfectly fine in the state of Michigan. How did we get here? How the hell did we get here? It's frustrating. What we need is to raise that age. 18 has to become the age of consent in our state. And we have to do away with prosecuting minors that are having consensual sex together. The word is consent. If it's consensual between two kids, we should not compromise those kids' future. But we cannot give free passes to adults to have sex with high school kids either. We have to come together on these issues. If we don't, we're going to continue in this 
whirlwind of frustration. The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I realized something that Texas Hold'em, no limit Texas Hold'em, is so much like criminal law. And there's somebody who's out there who's really talking a lot of shit right now. I'm just mm-hmm. going to put it like this. Where I come from, we don't have pocket aces. We're always 2-9 off suit. That's just the way it was back in the hood. Here's the thing about poker, bro. You could be 2-9 off suit and take the whole f***ing pot if you know what you're doing. So, I know you got your pocket aces, you're talking a lot of shit, but let me tell you something, bro. I can read your tells. Stay tuned. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And tonight, two topics that were asked to be talked about. And I know some people want me to talk about Something that I'm not going to discuss. And to those inner circle people, we've had our conversations. We'll continue to have our conversations. But we're going to do our talking in the courtroom. But we're going to talk about other topics tonight. That would not be ethic violations. Number one, first first week of law school. What happened there? I'll explain that. Some of you have heard Sardis before. And then the MySpace era. The theme songs of MySpace, blogging, poetry, and all sorts of clicks being decided. I will tell you, back in 2006, 2007, at least at Cooley, MySpace determined who were the cool kids and who weren't. It was just weird. And um, many people predicted that MySpace would always be more powerful than Facebook. Many people also predicted that Sam Bowie would be a better NBA player than Michael Jordan. And Ryan Leaf would be a better selection than Peyton Manning. So don't always buy into what people say. There's one lesson to take from this. All right. Let's talk about that first week of law school. Man. Ah, Cooley. In our class, I think there were 1,270 people. That's insane, right? There were 1,270 people in the Cooley. It wasn't the Cooley Center at that point. We were at the old uh, Temple Building. And they put us in there for something called Jumpstart. And Jumpstart, it's kind of a bullshit program. It's like an orientation. And, you know, you start making friends there. You start making clicks. And it was very different. Very odd. Some people came in in suits and ties. Some people came in, um, like, they're getting ready for a ball game. I suited up because I thought that's what we were supposed to do in law school. And, you know, we had different people talk. One of the people that were talking was Norman Fell. Norman Fell was a crim law professor. He'd be my crim law professor. And he was never a fan. Um, Sean Colbreth posted on my Facebook page. And Sean Colbreth's a brilliant mind, great lawyer in California. He was at Jumpstart with me. When that article got posted in Shiawassee Radio and the blog about Bill Amadeo being the premier criminal defense lawyer in Michigan, first of all, thank you, Josh Strickland. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I'm proud of my accomplishments, but I will say there's a lot of amazing criminal lawyers. So 
to say who's actually the best, that's up for debate. I'm honored to be in the mix. Put it like that. Corey Norman Fell, I wasn't even supposed to be in law school. Norman Fell and Dr. Wilson, and these are all people I met at Jumpstart. And uh, they told me, basically, early on, that I should go back to New Jersey and bartend. So when Sean Colbert made his comment about Norman Fell being my mentor for Krim, now, Sean, I know it was a joke, but you're my boy. Norman Fell is my role model for people telling me what I can't do. Here's a guy who couldn't carry my f***ing jockstrap in criminal law, and he was telling me how I couldn't make it as a lawyer. Norm, I know you watch it sometimes. I hope you're enjoying it. We can compare resumes whenever you want. Uh, I couldn't stand you at the Innocence Project when you were my professor, if you want to call it that. I couldn't stand you in criminal law. You told me I was a nobody. And I've accomplished more in my career than you could have ever hoped for in a lifetime. So go f*** yourself. And if you're watching this, everything you told us at Jumpstart and first term of law school is bullshit. You didn't teach us how to win a trial. You didn't teach us anything. Your view on the law. Bro, stop. Dr. Wilson was one of the people at Jumpstart who she would brag about how she wasn't a lawyer, but she helps mold young minds. Mm. Yeah. They gave us something called the Nelson Denny test. This was this bullshit test to determine, like an IQ test for lawyers, I suppose. Now, what we didn't know was I had dyslexia. I actually didn't find it out till my third term of law school, believe it or not. And I didn't do good on this test. I didn't do good on the LSAT. Like, I run it through everything. And because of the Nelson Denny test, I would not gonna, I was not going to make it through Cooley. That's what Dr. Wilson told me. We took that test the day of Jumpstart, and I was told to save my financial aid money. First week was weird. You start making clicks. And one person I met that meant so much to me my first week was Brian Largy. Brian Largy is like a big brother. He was a retired New Jersey State Trooper. We were lucky to be in the same section in law school. And my first term of law school, I lived at Washington Apartments, which was, it was lousy apartments. Uh, I was robbed a couple times, had my car broken into, and Brian got me into Village Green. And going to Village Green and meeting Josh Woodman and the crew, it changed everything for me. I know I would have made it through law school if I didn't go to Village Green, but Brian Largy made my life so much easier. Um, he's a great lawyer out in New Jersey. He's a rising politician. He's a close friend. He was there when mom died. He was there when Aunt Mayor died. He was like a protector in law school. Any first-term student should be lucky enough to have a friend like Brian Largy. I cannot express enough how grateful I am that Brian Largy came into my life. That was one of the few things that first week that really worked out well. Uh, Largy had my back. I always have his. There were some brilliant minds in that first term. Um, Corey Arnett's an administrative law judge. Sean Colbert's doing his thing in California. Brian Cogswell's an excellent lawyer. 
there were many minds that on paper certainly were more intelligent than me. But things were different at Cooley back then. Let me explain. So we came in with 1270. I think we graduated like maybe 250 or something like that. And back then, Cooley had a business model. This business model went like this. We're going to take at-risk students. And they told us a little orientation. Look to your left, look to your right. Those people won't be there at the end. And it was really fascinating because so many people failed out. During my law school career, people failed out. People killed themselves. Uh, people quit. Some people transferred. And some of the most brilliant minds I know didn't make it through law school. And some of the people who I consider complete idiots did make it through. Law school was not a measure of intellect. And you don't notice your first week. Because first week, and kids out there, listen to this. When they tell you to brief those cases, that is such bullshit. What you need to do, and take this to heart if you're listening out there and you're a law student. Your first week. And set the tone. You need to kick ass your multiple choice. Multiple choice is going to get you that JD. Make multiple choice your mission in life. Download all the essays on the portal. Start reading them like magazine articles. Get a theme for what the issues are going to be. Because the issues become repetitive. Do not listen to people that tell you to spend your time briefing. That's bullshit. The arc at Cooley. That place is a fucking joke. And, you know, if you're listening, you can quote me on that. They will tell you to do things that contradict what your professor tells you to do. People in your first term, in the first week, all this shit's coming down on you, right? If somebody says, I'll sell you magic beans, people will buy into it. you got to find your own way. But the way to do that, really from the jump, guys, is get control of your multiple choice. I don't understand... Why Cooley, and I have a lot of animosity towards Cooley, people know that. No matter how many trials I win, I don't get invited to speak at their events. I have no desire to at this juncture. But if you actually taught law students two things. Number one, how to succeed in law school. And number two, how to succeed as a lawyer. It'd be worth $150,000 you pay for it. Instead, it's like this elitist group. That tries to hide the ball from people. They don't tell you what you need to succeed. They'll tell you these theories. And I want you to find it on your own. Now you're paying 150 grand going into financial aid debt. And after you do that and they have your money, they don't want to fucking teach you how to swim. It's almost worth that people drown. That's my problem with Cooley. You know? And then another issue that came first week was there were so many people that, like, segregated into these cliques. Who was going to be a star? Who was going to be a nobody? And the reality was this. We were all at a fourth-tier law school. We all should have had a chip on our shoulders. Because here's the way it went down. You learned this first week if you were perspective. If you had, like, perception. You're coming from a bartending background. So... The Cooley students formed this clique where they thought they were elite. But a lot of their goal was to get the MSU. The MSU students thought they were better than the Cooley students. And if you transferred from Cooley to MSU, you then had like this theory 
that you got into the clique. And then the U of M students thought they were better than the Michigan State students. Let me, spoiler alert. We all take the same f***ing bar exam. Am I right, guys? Whether you went to U of M, whether you went to Michigan State, whether you went to Cooley, it didn't matter. You had to take the same god test to get into the club. Man, I'll tell you. Thank God U of M. Let me stop. Anyway, it's just amazing how these cliques became so isolated. By the way, nobody really gives a f what your GPA was in law school. Nobody cares. Here's what you care about. Here's your, here's your method. Follow me here. You graduate college to take the LSAT. You take the LSAT to get into law school. You get the grades in law school to be eligible to take the bar. You pass the bar to practice. None of these f***ing things have anything to do with one another. And whether you went to U of M, whether you went to Harvard, it doesn't f***ing matter. They can't measure heart. They can't measure soul. And I will tell you, athletes and poker players make the best lawyers. Here's why. We're used to pressure from a young age. We see things other people don't see. We know how to protect the privilege of our client. We know how to advocate. They don't teach that shit in law school. They really don't. And that was really sad. But that's a reality. Now, about 2005, things got really weird. Here's why. It's what we call the MySpace era. <laughs> MySpace took off, man. It was like a plague. And the Cooley students started really judging people by not only their grades now, but by their MySpace accounts. I remember <laughs> 2005, there was this one girl I was talking to, and she said to me, hey, I looked you up on MySpace. I didn't find your account. And I said, I don't have a MySpace account. And she looked at me like I told her, um, I don't know, I was like a leopard or something. And she goes, what do you mean of a MySpace account? I don't have one. Should I get one? She goes, well, yeah, I think you should. And then it was like, okay, we stopped talking because I didn't have a MySpace account. It starts now. we got to have these MySpace accounts, right? And it's not just that. Because I didn't consider MySpace a dating app. Many of them did. You got to get a cool profile picture. And then, after you get that cool profile picture, here we go, Emily Thomas, you need to pick your theme music. Because your profile music is how you're going to get into the club. If you have cool alternative music, they think like, hey, this is cool. He's up above. But if you played music that was not popular, well, what's going on there? You actually had to spend time picking out your profile music. This was insane. And I don't know, I'm just... Whatever. I picked some, like, Def Leppard or stuff like that. Here's where things got really strange for me in MySpace. There was something called the MySpace blog. I was talking to a couple friends, and one of them said, Hey, you were a writer, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. 
you should put your poetry on uh, MySpace. I'm like, oh, okay. Whatever. So I start putting poetry on MySpace. Now, here's the thing. Poetry is very subjective. And I believe if you are crazy, you can think the poems are about you if they have nothing to do with you. And I've always had a way of attracting crazy people, thinking when I'm talking about them, it's about them. Right now, there's prosecutors that are assuming this is about them. Um, there are ex-girlfriends that are saying, hey, how dare you talk about paper thin? It's about me. No, it wasn't. Like, it's a subjective thing, right? So then you put poetry under the tension of law school with people that are on edge anyway. And now we start, well, what's Bill writing about? So I start writing these blogs, and like hundreds of people start reading these blogs. And I start getting looks from people, you know? Um, some people really impressed. Tell me about your poetry. Some people start getting all pissed off at me. Remember this one girl said, why were you writing about me? I don't appreciate that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That blog was about somebody I dated in New Jersey years ago. And when I mentioned Atlantic City in the blog, how did you think it was about you considering you grew up in Kentucky? Things are getting weird, right? And I didn't realize that this poetry was a way to really enhance your value with the opposite sex. Until Brian Larky one day said to me, Hey, people are really reading your poetry. He's like, really? And I'm like, okay, cool. So there was this one girl, we won't mention her name, very pretty woman, I mean she was beautiful, and she was definitely off. When I say off, like there was a disconnect here. And uh, we had class together on Friday night. And Brian and I sat like in the back row, it was like a courtroom classroom, and she was like one row down from us. So Brian comes up to me. And he says, hey, she's really into you. I wouldn't say anything to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Why do you think she's into me? Trust me, she's into you, B. So we're on a break one day. And I just said, hey, to her. She goes, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like engaging in conversation hard. So I said to Brian, how do you know she's so into me? I'm just, I wasn't paying attention to this. My first few terms of law school, like, Dating was not part of the equation. And then, ironically, dating became like this huge part of the equation. Like, I'd work 14, 15 hours, and then I would date, which was bizarre. I'm the only guy at Cooley, I think, that ever dated so much and never went to a bar. That's a story for another time. But Brian says, this girl's in the end. And so we're talking one night. Brian and I are at dinner. And he's like, listen, I'm telling you, this girl's in the but you got to act fast. I'm like, um, whatever. He goes, no, B, you got to act quick on this one. I said, so why do I got to act quick? Because, well, I see her reading your blogs, like, all day in class. I'm like, oh, all right. Because we don't understand. He goes, you need to act really fast on this one or else the moment's going to pass. Like, why do I got to move so fast? He said, well, Bill... <laughs> I watch her reading your blogs all the time. She's not paying attention in class. She's reading your blogs. She's going to fail. 
there's no way this girl's going to pass this class. She's fixated on your poetry. So in some ways, your poetry is with her GPA. What? Because trust me. Just ask her to a study group and see what happens. So, okay. One Friday night, I said, hey, do you want to do a study group? Yep. So I'm going over, like, these theories of multiple choice. And all she wants to do is talk about my poetry. And I said to her, hey, you know, finals are coming up in a couple weeks. She goes, well, I want to know about what you're going to write about next. And she failed out of law school. And um, so she will tell you if you talk to her today. She's in a land far away from Michigan. With, uh, I think she had a fiance, something that weird couple or like into well, whatever. I'm not going to get too much in. I don't want to reveal who she is. With that being said, if you talk to her today, she will tell you that my poetry on MySpace distracted her from studying, and that's why she failed out of law school. True story. She told me my poetry messed up her GPA. And Brian said to me, if you don't act fast, you're going to miss this window of opportunity because she's not going to make it through law school. And she didn't. Luckily for me, when she failed out of law school, um, she didn't leave right away. And um, She said she had, you know, her lease is up. I'm like, so, okay, you could stay with me for a while, I guess. Oops, that was a mistake. So I'd be, I'd be in law school and she'd be home. I'm like, so, what's the plan? Like, are you going to reapply? Are you going to go to grad school? She would just sit in the apartment all day. And she'd say stuff like, well, I took care of Winston to Bianca today. Um, Winston Bianca were my cats. And I'm like, that's great. But, you know, cats are pretty self-sufficient. You know, they get fed in the morning. They get fed at night. Um, I don't really know if that's a full-time job. But, okay. So she'd say stuff like, oh, so you don't care about your cats? No, I love my cats. I just don't know if you should not pursue educational or, you know, business opportunities because you take care of Winston Bianca. It wasn't like we had children together, right? It was two cats who were very well fed and taken care of. And, um... <laughs> so... <laughs> guys are killing me in these comments. So anyway, um... One day, I came home from study hall and... From the library, I should say. And I guess I had a break, and I was writing poetry, and she didn't think it was about her. That was a mistake. So I had these amazing outlines printed out, right? And she loved to drink coffee. She used to put coffee in, like, a thing like this. Like, drink it all day. You know, and, like... Like, so much coffee. Coffee and energy drinks. Like, this girl's, like, wired up. Now, she's only going to be here a short period of time. She's been out of law school. She's moving back to a land far, far away. And um, she says, hey, you did a really great job on your outlines. I was going over all of them. I'm like, oh, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I worked really hard on them. And she goes, did you save them? 
I said, yeah, on this floppy disk. She goes, okay, great. She goes, you know, I could help you out with that. Now, back then, 2005, 2006, the floppy disk was the shit. So she takes the floppy disk, right? And she takes my baseball bat. She starts smashing the disk. Then she took one of her coffee things, and she starts destroying all my outlines. And it's like watching a car crash. You're sitting there. And I'm like, you just destroyed, like, four weeks of work. What the fuck? Wow. Your MySpace poetry sure as hell not about me anymore, you motherfucker. So one day... <laughs> one day, um... <laughs> you guys are killing me with these comments. She had a cat at the house, too. And I guess I should have mentioned... I don't mention the cat's name. But, um... She had a cat at the house. I guess she was taking care of that cat, too. So there were, like, three cats. Like a blended family, right? And uh, she left a note. She goes, I'm flying back home. Um, I know where you hid money in the um, apartment, and I took the cash. And if you don't come to see me in the next two weeks, you're ever going to see this cat again. Now, I'm checking. My cats are good, right? She took her cat, and I called my aunt, and Aunt Mary was never one to mince words, and I called my mom, and I said, I don't know what to do. She took that cat. I love that cat. And Aunt Mary and mom said, Billy, let that crazy just go, okay? <laughs> you want to send her some money for the cat? Do that, but I got to tell you, kid, this is best for all. And then Aunt Mary says, and I fucking told you that that MySpace was going to be a problem. So, MySpace poetry got me her. <laughs> and, um, MySpace poetry cost me her. If I could do anything, if I could change it all again, I would have wrote that poem that upset her two weeks earlier to protect my outlines. That was a pain ass doing those fucking outlines again. Mike, that's God. Mike P, total prerequisite with me. You have to be hot and crazy. I've been there. Why am I I'm at? I gotta tell you, Mike, from 2004 to 2008, if there was a crazy good-looking woman in the Lansing area, I may have dated her. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and that, my friends is first week of law school and the myspace error all right thank you for the laughs i'm bill hamadeo i approve this have a good one guys the proceeding was a paid presentation by mcmanus and amadeo plc listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter no listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the
between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.